Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. This is the Zookeeper podcast where we take you behind the scenes talking to professionals in the industry about their stories, words of wisdom and journey so far to get to where they are today, really showing you what it takes to be a zookeeper. All views throughout the podcast shared are of those speaking alone and in no way reflect the collections they work for. So please come along for the journey, enjoy the ride and thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. My name's James Dennis, I'm your presenter, and today we're talking all about colleges, universities and everything education. And I'm very pleased to have on for this episode, Carly Houston. Welcome, Carly, to the show. Hi, James, how are you? Really well, thank you. Now, I'm very pleased to finally get you on this episode. It's been a long time coming. If you want to introduce to everyone officially who you are, where you come from and what title you hold. So my name is Carly. I am from the Isle of Man and I am an animal lecturer at the University College Isle of Man. Amazing. Now, as we've learned very well throughout these episodes, no one simply rolls into a position. You make your own luck and you put yourself into those positions by hard graft, by gaining that experience and those education along the way. Carly, do you have them? Do you have those journey moments, those stepping stones and I guess those career goals that you've achieved throughout your time so far? Um, do you want the long version or the short version? Oh, a, a very hard decision, but I think we'll go for the long version for this one. Okay, okay. So I actually wanted to work with horses to begin with. And when I was thinking of college, going into a recession at the time, and it was my mum that convinced me, she said, People are going to be dropping expensive hobbies. Horse riding is one of them. But people are always going to have pets. There's always going to be animals in need. So do that. And horses are included in animals. So you're not exactly saying no to that career. Uh, you're just opening the path a bit wider. Very, very wise words. And yeah, so I went to Reese Heath College. I loved every minute of it. I actually fell in love with the zoo department there. And I didn't look back ever since. I then went on to university from my animal management diploma. To, at Chester University. Yeah, it took me about a year and a half, almost two years before I actually got a job at our local zoo. But I did actually get to work with horses in the end. So um, that's where I worked between leaving university and getting my dream job as a zookeeper. Truly amazing. What a journey. And if I was to pinpoint it, taking you right back to the beginning, do you remember that very first you know spark as it were with regards to animals which got you i guess hooked on the industry yeah um it was actually a lot lot younger more like animals have always been attracted to me like if someone says oh my cat doesn't like strangers they're like me if someone says oh my my dog is a bit timid they'll run up to me as if they've known me as part of their family member so I just remember being like eight years old and my coach's wife turned around to my mom and said she needs to work with animals because their dog was quite timid and he was just treating me as if I was part of the family. You know, my mom agreed. And then it was since then that I kind of like was aware that I had natural aura about me, that I seemed to calm animals, which is why I get on so well with horses and so the feral animals. They just feel a bit more relaxed in, in my presence, which helps when you're training large animals like horses and and it's definitely shown through my training of the zoo animals as well absolutely a really really amazing journey you've had and really insightful to hear the starting point of your journey so thank you for sharing that now carly we're going to dive into this episode it's all about looking at getting into the industry and moving through this industry 
and the education side of things, CVs are so, so essential to getting your foot in that door and getting your dream job. What would you say, if I were to ask for one, two or three hot tips, are the main, main focus of building a good CV to hopefully get you to that dream job? Yeah, I've actually had to do CV building with my students. So the first thing that I noticed was um, you really need a clear layout on your CV. Popular jobs such as zookeeping jobs, you know, you have many applicants and your employers want to get through it as quickly as possible so they can fill that post. And if your CV isn't clearly laid out, your CV won't end up in the bin. That's like the wrong terminology, but um, they're not going to sit there for five minutes trying to sift through and find the important pieces that they need to know. Also, keep it maximum three pages with high profile jobs like zookeeping. They're going to have a lot of applicants and no one has time to sift through a, a five page document of, of your you know, employment history, your qualifications. So I said to my students, you know, when you're as, say, old as me, I'm 30, but when you've had a few jobs like me, um, where in between term time, I, I will find a job to fulfill that six to eight week gap. And it won't always be there for me when I next have a school holiday. So I had loads of little like coffee shop, cleaning, bartender, a lot of that stuff can go if it doesn't relate to your job to shorten your CV. And I think my third tip would be anything can relate to the job that you're applying for. So if you're going for an animal presenter role rather than an animal keeper role, you would say you were front of house as a bar staff member. You were taking orders. You had to take compliments and complaints at the same time. And you were able to deal with them in a professional manner. But if you're going for a zookeeper role and your job history is bartender, you can say, you know, you were very versatile. You cleaned the public toilets as well as behind the bar. And you can just say you like you're open to anything because if you ask any animal zookeeper, they would much rather clean up animal feces than human feces so you can definitely tailor your cv to the job that you're applying for otherwise your potential employer is just going to be like well why does that relate to me and it's just more stuff that they have to sift through some really great stuff there carly some stuff which i'm sure everyone will be taking away now the next one i want you to answer is it's very hard because everyone's very you know they're themselves you know everyone's different everyone's going to have different strengths different weaknesses and you do need to adapt your journey depending on who you are what i want from you cardi though is can you roughly create a, a bit of a mind map a bit of a, a structure towards how to be a zookeeper you know what is the the path way you know there's apprenticeships out there there's internships there's obviously education, there's simply going into work, there's a whole range of different things. What would you advise for the generic person? If your head is down and your tunnel vision on being a zookeeper, I would definitely enter into one of the level three animal management courses. Just if you're like me and when you're learning about generic stuff, so biology, you're talking about plant and human cell biology and all that kind of stuff but if it relates to something that you're interested in so animal biology you are learning essentially the same things but the topic is more interesting to you so you're more likely to retain the information so i'd say definitely go on to a level three animal management course the next stage is very much dependent on 
money. Not everyone, especially in this particular economic environment, can afford to go to university or afford student loan bills, etc. So there's two potential pathways you could go. You could go onto the zoo management degree, which I have to say is worth every penny. Not only do you learn you know, the ins and outs of being a zookeeper, but you also learn managerial roles and the office work behind it. So you've got more potential to enter into like a management position because you've already got that knowledge behind you. Like I learned Zims at university, whereas, you know, they wouldn't teach that in any other course. And also ARCs and animal importation and licensing. Everything... So it is worth every penny, but I do know times are hard at the minute. If that isn't an option for you, the DIMSA is a great opportunity to get your foot in the door with alongside practical experience. Um, I think it's only Sparshall that's offering that, but it is distance learning. I think they have to go over once, twice a year. Don't quote me on that, but I think it is once or twice a year to see a lecturer just to go over anything and potentially graduation as well. But that requires you to have a volunteer role alongside doing your course. And the DIMSA is tailored to zookeeping. And a lot of zoos, you know, ask you on interview if you have DIMSA or ask for it in um, a job description. So you know, they would take a DIMSA as well as a degree, or they would take a DIMSA, or they would take a degree. So you are essentially creating the same path, but you probably have to learn more on the job. You know, I've helped my friend with her DIMSA, and it's very practical, and it is very built for purpose. But in terms of like, office work and setting you up for like any kind of managerial roles, you'll be missing out on on that through the DIMSA. But saying that, so if you've still got a degree, they are sending you on the DIMSA just because of how useful it is. And I would say volunteer at your local zoo. That's what I did. I volunteered there since I was 15. And when I left, that was 15 years of my life. <laughs> but um, I've still got my foot in the door. I still do the odd day here and there to help them out. But when I went into interview, it was a lot calmer environment you know I knew the people in the room they knew me they knew my work ethic they knew that I could potentially walk into the job yes I would still need some guidance but they wouldn't have to you know train me from scratch I knew where everything was so yeah definitely volunteer keep your foot in the door make some friends and yeah any CPD opportunities that you can do whether that's cost training or trailer license, you know, for to help with animal imports. So yeah, just anything that you can think of that could help. Some things, you know, that they are quite expensive, like trailer lessons, probably about £50 an hour, but they are well worth it, put on your CV. And to get you that one point up from the next candidate that they're reviewing after you. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what else to say on that, but it's um it's a long road you just gotta stick with it and you just gotta do everything that you can in your power to try and get yourself there yeah exactly that i couldn't agree more stick with it determination and you will get there whatever the route you create but couldn't agree more carly some really great words now moving on to to quite a regular slot of this podcast episode bit of advice for the day a bit of advice for anyone listening in whether it be from the educational side or your zookeeper side do you have any advice you've built up from your career so far to, to pass on to anyone listening? Obviously, I, I've 
been at it from the teaching perspective when I've been in the zoo and I've been taking on volunteers and um, work experience and one thing that I absolutely love if you're volunteering if you decide you want to go down that route first is someone with initiative you know we've had people that'll stand in the corner on their phone until someone asks them to do a job you're less likely to get a job given to you um, and I don't mean like a job as in a paid job I mean a job as in a task for the day if you stand in the corner on your phone because you don't know us, we get it, you're shy, you might be too shy to ask if there's anything that you can do, don't be. Absolutely do not be. We like questions and we would much rather you ask questions than try and do something on your own without the knowledge behind you. But I always love someone who's got initiative, who, you know, it'll take a couple of days, but say if we've got an emergency and all the zookeepers are called in, can they just pick up a diet sheet and start prepping something? Or do they have to sit in the mess room and wait to be told to do that? So always always seem keen you know and and don't ask for don't wait for someone to tell you what to do just you know put yourself out there even if it is giving you that push and you're normally an introvert you know if this is something that you really want to do you know you got to prove it in your determination in your volunteering role yeah it's becoming a bit of a theme in this episode determination being the key and a very large part of being a zookeeper so once again very well put carly now the next one I've got for you then is we've talked a lot about CV building, about advice for going through the industry. But once you've got that foot in the door, your CV's done its job, it's got you that interview. That's a whole different realm. You know, obviously COVID, a very different era, you know, a lot through Zoom, a lot through Internet access. But now we're returning back to the way it was, back to in-person interviews and the decisions to be made. You know, when you go to an interview, do you wear a suit? Do you wear practical clothing? What do you do? How do you propose presenting yourself in the right way, professional manner? And I guess the way which hopefully is going to get you that role for life. Carly, what, what are you saying? So I don't know about you, James, but for both of my interviews for the park and for this job, I had to do a presentation. So for the park, I had to do a fake animal talk. And for the college, I had to do a presentation on how I would make it a fun learning experience for the students. One thing I find really helpful, and it's really useful if you're really good at reading animal behavior, um, you tend to be able to apply that to people. So I'd read the room first. I, I'd create a generic script for your presentation if you are given one, but let your personality show. So obviously still be professional and, you know, please thank yous, may I's and that kind of thing. But one thing I did do on my recent interview getting this job I asked my friend and I asked my husband, you know, do I crack a joke? Because on my presentation, the first picture was Millie the Red Panda. And I popped that up and they all told me not to do it. They all told me, no, don't do it. Keep it professional. It's not unprofessional if you're trying to lighten the mood. So Ginny pulls up on screen and I say, done, you're welcome. And they all start laughing. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm only joking. Like, I gave my presentation. It helped ease my nerves. It showed them that I am, I can be professional when I need to be, which is why I just cracked on with the presentation. That was it. No more jokes. But 
I like my personality show. It helped me with my nerves. It helped them get an, a read on what type of person I am. You just got to present yourself in the way that you wish to carry it forward. Some really good pointers there, Carly. I'm sure there's a fair few people listening to this, soaking them in and will hopefully use them in the future. Now, moving on then to the next element of this episode, it's the big questions. Part of this episode, we tackle some of the deeper questions throughout the industry and find a few answers along the way. Number one for you, students, is there a larger gap than there should be throughout the bond with the industry or do we need to create a, a deeper connection between student to the industry? I definitely agree that there is a large jump between like, say, a university leaver actually entering into the industry. I get it from both perspectives. Yourself volunteering, you don't have responsibility. You know, you're told what to do. Someone's always shadowing you and checking your work as a volunteer or a student who's on their work placement. But actually given the job and the responsibility, like we're talking about animals' lives. We're not just talking about bottles on the shelf. If you smash one, it can come out of your wages. You know, if something goes wrong, could be an animal's life at risk. So I get it from that perspective. But if the industry wants well-qualified, well-experienced zookeepers, the, the pay margin has to be bigger because it attracts the students. You know, it attracts that caliber, that age. It promotes the less qualified, the less experienced, but asking for a lot more than that. So I think that's where the industry really needs to rethink its um, priorities. So are they going to continue down that route? If so, they need to start lowering their expectations on the candidates that apply. Yeah, a really great answer. Now, number two is coming straight at you then, Carly. And that's to add on to that question we've just had. And that is, do you think students are currently getting everything they need to equip themselves and to prepare themselves for the industry? Or is there more needed? From the classroom perspective, if it's all done from a classroom, absolutely not. I think the two go hand in hand simultaneously and one can't work without the other. So if you're like our college, it's our first year doing the course. We don't have any animals yet, but the course itself requires 150 hours work placement, like four to five weeks in total, depending on how many hours they do. You know, I'm constantly asking them when they come back, did you see anything in the theory applied and the practical side of things? And they were like, yes, I seen blood draws. Yes, we had to take poo samples. So, you know, it's kind of like you learn it in the classroom and it, you get a bit overwhelmed, but then you see it happen in real life and it all clicks. You were just out in the field and you'll probably know as well as I do if you're short staff, you've got a volunteer, that's great, that's an extra hand. So you just get them to help you and you don't take the time to explain why you're doing things, especially if you just need to get the job done, you've got more animals to check on. You haven't done a count of that particular enclosure yet. There's a problem in this one. You tend to just get them to do stuff and move on to the next job. You know, zookeeping is notoriously understaffed. Unfortunately, that is what happens. Um, we appreciate the help from volunteers. And certainly when we have volunteers, when we're fully staffed, I definitely, you know, slow down, take the time to explain, you know, you've got to do this because it could lead to this. And, you know, we do this because of disease and we do this because of prevention methods and all that kind of stuff. So I think for that reason alone, you need both to work together in order to give them 
you know, a proper education and and give them all the tools that they need to then when they are employed are able to take on the responsibility without being a liability another really well answered question now the next one i've got for you carly it's quite a generic question it's one we've had quite a few times throughout these episodes and it's the constant debate within the industry what should i pick three years in the form of a degree or an equivalent or three years in the form of experience what is more valuable what is going to get me further throughout my my career and what is the right decision what do you think carly what is the right decision with experience it was an age-old situation where there wasn't a qualification 30 years ago i think the dims wasn't even in question i think it was 20 years old now animal education for people is actually a very new concept if you think about it so i think at the minute experience has a lot um of sway um in this environment that we're in um a lot of the older keepers they've been in in the job since before there were any courses in sight and then it's a lot coming in trying to take over and it's kind of like they we have to appreciate that they have forgotten more than we know they've seen a lot of things happen you know they've witnessed it firsthand however with education it's more you can never know everything about animals and i tell you what when it comes to education there's always something new that bumps the last thing off the list so for example since i've been paid at the park so seven and a half years the red panda diets changed three times each time claiming that this is the newest best diet that they can go on and then another two years happens and they're like this is the best diet that they can go on forget that last one and i think that's where the ones who come from experience struggle they struggle with the change because it's worked that way for their entire career why do we have to switch up and change now whereas the ones who come from education we're taught you're never going to know everything. And there's always going to be some scientist that comes in and says, no, my way is better. Oh, I don't know. I think education and experience go hand in hand. From my personal opinion, without our experience keepers, you know, we'd fall to ruin. But, you know, without the, you know, the qualified keepers, change wouldn't happen. So it, it's both. It's both. I can't, I, can't, I can't pick. Another really well answered question. Now, the next one I've got for you, Carly, is what course within the educational field would you recommend for anyone wanting to come into the industry or simply wanting to broaden their horizons and, and learn more? Okay, so definitely any level three animal management qualification. I don't think there is a level three zookeeping one. I think there's ones with the zookeeping pathway but it's still classed as animal management. And I would say, don't turn down experience at other industries. Everything that we know from animal behavior and stuff started on farm animals. You know, it was witnessed, tested and tried on farm animals, and then it was branched out into other industries. So knowing the origins and where these breakthroughs came from, you'd be surprised how little of them was first in the zoo um when they learned about desensitization it was with cattle and you know that kind of stuff so dip your toe in every industry make sure it's for you make sure you haven't like me i wanted to do horses with other industries just make sure that you definitely rule them out because you know the level three animal management is designed to have you you know dip your toe in 
what's out there. And also, there is a lot from my uh, zookeeping degree that I applied at the horse riding school that I worked with between leaving university and getting a job as a zookeeper. So like field management, you know, dietary management, all that kind of stuff. So I'd say a level three animal management course, if you're still not sure, I'd say stick to A-levels because it'll open more pathway for you. Once you've entered onto the level three course, you kind of want a set path to work with animals. I tried this leaving university there were no jobs at the time so I was applying for anything office junior just a secretary job or a receptionist job no one would have me I had a distinction distinction in animal management and I had a degree and yet these people didn't want to even interview me so be sure that you want to work with animals before you go down this route because it is a fantastic route to take but if you're still deciding I'd say stick to A-levels and then you can decide degrees when you're thinking about university. Another really well answered question and we're getting very close to the end of these big questions before we do come to an end though I do want to chuck out you know you've just moved across to lecture into the educational field what did it take to be a lecturer for anyone listening in what goes into it, what skills are required and so on. And to really be a myth buster behind this, to, to obviously get across that it is an alternative role, isn't it? It's not, you know, a sideways step, a backward step or, you know, in the really horrible realms out there. There's speculation about how it's a retirement home for zookeepers. It, that's not the case, is it? No, no, definitely not. I tell you what, doing animal talks at the park helped me a lot, you know, talking to strangers into a microphone every day, at least in a classroom, I don't have to talk into a microphone. Yeah, it's a lot different, obviously, being in a classroom setting. I don't know if everyone else is the same, they probably are, but the University College Isle of Man, they take pride in hiring people from the industry, so the students get real first-hand experience from someone who's been there, done that, and got the t-shirt. I was competing against some really, really strong candidates, and you know, a lot of the time I'm like, oh my God, why did they pick me? But you know, it, it's one of those things where I've started delivering the course now um, since September. And a lot of these situations I've seen firsthand, I've witnessed firsthand. So I understand the significance now of just how important hiring someone from the industry is, because I don't think anyone could put you know emotion into it like obviously I don't get emotional but you know when you're talking about certain diseases you've witnessed firsthand the signs the symptoms the treatment the recovery process you know they're just looking up at me wide-eyed like oh my god that sounds awful but it sounds awful but it is actually horrendous when you're in that situation which they will not witness until you know they're in the industry themselves but what it takes to be a lecturer is having life experience firsthand already. Being there, doing that again, the t-shirt helps a lot in delivering the course as well. Once again, a really, really great answer. Now, before we do bring the big questions to a close, I do have one small last question for you, Carly. And that's with regards to moving across now into the educational field, but also still being part of your previous collection, which it makes you the perfect person to ask. Do you still feel part of the industry having left it, even though, you know, we are intertwined, we are doing the same role 
and we are sharing the same industry, it can at times feel separate. Do you feel still part of it? I definitely feel part of the industry because I'm still a casual at my local zoo to keep my foot in the door. The college definitely promotes you keeping up your industry experience. So they work hand in hand. I don't know if some people feel like, you know, they've took a sidestep and it's like a wall has been built behind them. Um, I could definitely understand the concept of that. But for me personally, my situation, no, not in this current environment. And there you go, Carly. That is the big question smashed out of the way. You've completed them and you've made it through. Now, we lead on to the last part of this episode, and that is the quick fire round. It's something I'd very much need to rename because keepers love to talk and most of these burst into life. So we'll see how we get on, Carly, and plod our way through. The first one I've got for you is what is your favourite animal? Personally, I love the red pandas. Millie's my favourite. She's like a little puppy in a red panda costume. It's it's adorable. (laughs) A really great choice. Now, the next one I've got for you then is what is your top tip for well-being and mental health? I'd say don't let your friends and family drop back. You know, zookeeping demands a lot of your time and a lot of your energy. It's not just eight till five. You know, don't let your friendships and your family relationships fail because of the amount that you work and keep a hobby I know you're doing your dream job of the world and you might see that as a hobby but yeah just don't let your hobbies your personal time and your time with friends and family falter because of how much our jobs demand of us for sure okay the next one then is very rogue very left field and that is what is your favorite film oh harry potter Without question. Mm. And I also love Fantastic Beasts. It's like intertwining like my two favourite things, animals and magic. So, yeah. <laughs> a very good choice. Anyone in particular? Oh, I, I want a Niffler. I want a Niffler so bad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, you said you meant film. Oh, I love um, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban because I really want a hippogriff as well. You know, I just... You know, I ride horses. It'd be amazing if I could fly as well. Very much your inner zookeeper coming out of you there, picking all those magical creatures. Um, I'll let you have them all. Some really, really great choices. Now, moving on then to a very, I would say, quite a nice one to answer. And that is, what is your favourite and the best part of the industry? Okay, I think the best part of the job is training the new generation. You know, I'm teaching these things and I know that, I've experienced them and they're just so adorably naive that they're just writing notes and, you know, just copying stuff down. I'm like, you have no idea, but you are going to be so prepared when you go into um, industry eventually. And for the zoo, I'd say the best part of the job is favorite animals and the bond that you have with those favorites um i know we say we shouldn't pick a favorite but we definitely do i know definitely you do as well so yeah i think time with your favorites is time that you just have to enjoy in the moment very well put now the next one could take you absolutely anywhere in the world and that is globally what zoo would you like to visit and why this is a tough one you know what i'd like to go to bush gardens um, I did Animal Kingdom and I did SeaWorld, um, but um, I would absolutely 
love to go to bush gardens see the differences between the two so yeah now i'd lo I'd love to go there just for an excuse to go back to florida again <laughs> so. a very good choice now the next one i've got for you then is what trait or attribute inside yourself has allowed you to progress and get to the position you're in today i read behavior very well body language which is really helped when it comes to you know animal training um i don't know if that's a natural trait or if it's kind of developed over a certain amount of time being in the industry but knowing what your animal is going to do before it does it um definitely helps keep you safe keep them safe and it does help you build a quicker bond as well knowing when to back off when you're trying to gain their trust and you know when to approach them again is definitely something that has stuck with me throughout my whole time even career even before i was thinking about horses instead of zoo it, it was something that's kind of been there but i've exercised it a bit more and it's got stronger as I've, as I've gone on a great trait to have and really well put now the next one i've got for you then is quite a hard one i always struggle with this one and that is if you weren't in the position that you're in today what would you be doing i, I would probably go back to zookeeping like 100 percent I just couldn't not work with animals in, in some way or teaching other people about animals. So if you said that I couldn't go back to zookeeping, I would probably go into breaking training on courses. You can only see what can come in the future, I guess. Now, the next one I've got for you is a bit more personal. It goes into your own head, as it were. And that is within the industry, who is your idol? So love David Attenborough. Don't get me wrong. absolutely love him to bits. And I think he's everyone's sure thing idol. But I absolutely love the Owens. You know, how they just carry on the father's legacy and all the work that they do. And there's a lot of, they, they have a wildlife um, rehabilitation center as well. Yeah, it's, you know, they're not just looking after zoo life, but they're looking after the wild native animals of Australia as well. So I think just the Owen family in general. I absolutely, absolutely love them to bits. Some truly large, amazing names throughout this industry. We've definitely heard those before. And Steve Owen in particular, I'm sure will come up once or twice in the future. A true inspiration to many. Now, leading us to the end of this episode, Carly, we're on that final question. I now need you to sum up this whole industry we work in, in only three words. I'd say... Tiring, but rewarding, and I can't even think of another word. There's just so many. There's just so many, James. It's not a word, but it's like one-in-a-lifetime experience that you just don't get anywhere else. But I don't know if there is like a single word for that. Uh, I think I'll let you have that. Overall, I think you've got some amazing words in there and a really nice way to sum up this industry, but more importantly, sum up this episode and bringing it to a close. From myself and the listeners, Carly, thank you so, so much for coming on, sharing your stories, your words of wisdom and your journey so far. It's been a real, real honour to have you on and have you involved with Zookeeping 101? Oh, thank you for having me. No, I've really enjoyed this one, Carly. Thank you so much. And hopefully we'll get you on again very, very soon. Thanks, James. Take care until then. Thanks. Bye. Bye. And that concludes this week's episode. What an amazing guest and an amazing time we had. Now, if you have enjoyed it, please do subscribe on Instagram, Facebook or our podcast channels to Zookeeping 101. 
I can't express how thankful I am personally from a fellow zookeeper to have you along for this quite amazing journey learning about everything zookeeper. Otherwise, please subscribe. Thank you for listening and see you very, very soon. Bye.